Hello, handsomes, and welcome to Volume 8 of Personally Speaking, the show where any friend of mine is a friend of yours, and any friend of yours is a friend of mine, and your best friends tell the best stories, right? How you guys doing? Everybody feeling, like, appropriately fraught or catatonic, whatever? Just, like, normal comedy stuff? Anybody going through it? Like, not moving or talking much? I've, I don't know, I've been having... Time. I kind of am always having a rough time, but I feel like especially lately I've just been incorporating depression activities to make my friends hang out with me. I'm like, hey guys, who wants to maybe instead of going to the bars tonight, what if we lay around and watch TV? <gasps> so that's been my trap as of late. I don't know, everybody has their thing. That's all I'm doing. I hope the rest of you are doing uh, either just as well, just as poorly, etc. Hope you're experiencing things to make uh, good art about that makes stuff uh, make stuff that makes people feel better. In this month, we have quite possibly one of my favorite shows we've done in a long time. Uh, I certainly uh, I'm pretty proud to say that one of our storytellers on the theme of camp was actually a camp counselor with me. As you'll see, Jessica Svensgaard had a little too much to eat in her story, followed by Ethan Stanislavski. Uh, Ethan attempts to escape from camp. It's not quite the Moonrise Kingdom story that you would hope. Uh, Kim Kalish has an amazing story uh, about Disney World and the smug look on one's face that can only come from a person who is deeply in love. Oscar Sagastume combines my two favorite things, which is summer camp and rich kids. Julie Pearson goes on a camping trip to the Grand Canyon with her dad. She drags her feet the whole way and learns something from it. Robin Ryan, amazing closer to the show. Robin Ryan basically experiences slash aids in a kidnapping involving like an actual kid. Just beautiful. It's a great show. Um, I myself get into aggressive, disgusting detail about what adult summer camp did to me. And um, not having my phone, what that did to everyone else around me. I think you guys are going to love this one. This is this is pretty great. Um, let's jump right in. You guys know, personally speaking, takes place at Open Space Cafe in Hollywood, California. It's in, I think, the United States? Yeah. Hollywood, California. Uh, every month, Open Space Cafe, 457 North Fairfax. Come see us October 14th. That's our next show. If you're interested in talking to me, sending me fan mail, only sending me love letters, fan mail, please. Um, literally anything less than worship will be deleted. You can send it to personallyspeakingshow at gmail.com or to our Twitter account at It's Personal Now, which basically functions as a mood board for old Hollywood GIFs. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the show. sunscreen and shades because it is very hot up here. Oh boy, it's very bright. 
Good morning, everybody. Guys, we've got a wonderful, wonderful set of activities for you today. But first, I'd love for you to meet your camp counselors. Your camp counselors, as follows, are going to be Jessica, Ethan, Kim, Oscar, Julie, and Robin. Put your hands together. Yep, yep, yep. Keep it up. Keep it up. We have got a great adventure planned for you this evening. But first, I just want to mention, don't worry about the goat in the infirmary. It's just, we're handling it. We're on it. You know what? It's Fecal is no matter, okay? Don't worry about it. Um, I think, most importantly, you guys probably already know, you're at a show called Personally Speaking. Put your hands together if you've never been here before. Excellent. I would like to apologize for what happens next. Uh, Everybody here tonight is going to have a story, a true tale to tell to you around our wonderful campfire. Um, Afterwards, we might even roast some s'mores. Who knows? Uh, Nothing too rowdy before all the campers are asleep, at which point this will devolve into a youthful bacchanal, as all summer camps do. Uh, Summer camps are really for adults. I think we all know that. Um, Summer camps are for the people who work there. It is not about the children. Uh, I recently started a job that took this idea uh, very seriously, started a summer camp for adults. What could possibly go wrong when you take 1,500 grown-ass humans, put them in the woods in upstate New York with only three rules? The first rule is open... The second rule is bar, and the third rule is all weekend. (laughs) That's it. I'm going to tell you guys every single one of the things that went wrong and every every single one of the ridiculous things that went right. But first, of course, for those of you who don't know, we do have a show to get on to. So for those of you who haven't been here before, Personally Speaking is entirely devoted to the idea that your friends tell the best stories, and any friend of mine is going to have to be a friend of yours, so get with it. <laughs> Everyone will have up to ten minutes, at least five, to earn your trust and make you laugh. That is the most important rule, Personally Speaking. We have no content restrictions, but it is important that you make us laugh. The second most important rule, and perhaps my favorite, is that every story has to be true to the best of your perspective. All of your heroes are all of our heroes. All of their villains are all of our villains. The first person coming up to the stage, quite fittingly, was an actual camp counselor with me at the gayest camp of all time. (laughs) Guys, put your hands together for Jessica Fensgard. Let's go! Uh, Christina was right. Uh... It's the gayest camp in existence. Um, When I was 12, my parents realized that I needed more attention um, than two adults with full-time jobs could give me. Um, And so they sent me to theater camp. Um, And it was amazing. I fell in love with it. I went back every single summer and every single winter uh, until I graduated high school. And then when you graduate from high school, you become a CIT, which means that for one session of camp, uh, you do not get paid. Um, And then after that, you're a counselor. Uh, And you are charged with taking care of children um, based on the merit of you having been one. Uh, And so my first summer as a counselor, I remember specifically requesting uh, middle school girls. And my theory... (laughs) 
my theory was that like I had such a hard time in middle school and camp was my safe space and I wanted to create that same space for them and um I had like eight of the coolest 14 year olds in the world I was like oh you're all fine uh (laughs) you don't need my help you're all really talented and popular and so I had a really easy time and um of course uh camp was just waiting until 10 p.m. when all the kids would be put to bed so um, the counselors and the teachers and the staffers could all hang out and get drunk. Um, And uh, one night, uh, my ex-boyfriend, who had also gone to camp, came to visit. He didn't even show up until after the kids went to bed. He was like, I don't want to see a goddamn child anywhere. I'm just here to party. And he brought a keg and a lot of drugs. And once again, children are in bed. They have no idea. I mean, they know what we do. uh, But they have no idea specifically what we do. And that's the important part. Um, And so all of my girls are in bed. And uh, my ex-boyfriend offers me an edible. And I had smoked weed before. Um, I don't think it ever entered my lungs. I don't. I definitely know that I did not how to smoke know how to smoke anything um and so i'd never gotten high and so he gave me this little cookie and i didn't know that edibles have doses and usually a dose is like a bite um and i just saw a cookie and i ate the whole thing uh, and this was at like 10 10 15 and around 11 o'clock it starts to hit me and uh i've never experienced this before in my life and most part I'm having a good time but then like another hour in I find out that I get very paranoid when I'm high uh for example we were all sitting in one of like the staffer cabins shit talking like that's like the number one thing you do at camp like after partying is you shit talk staffers counselors teachers children uh And I was specifically talking about this one other counselor that I hated. I loathed her. And my back was to the door, and I uh, heard the door open and close. And I immediately started crying because I was like, oh, it's her. She heard me. And everyone was like, that's Kevin. What are you talking about? Like, she's not here. Um, And I just kept getting, like, more and more upset throughout the night because I felt guilty about being high at camp, even though all my girls were in bed. And so at one point, I was like, I have to go to sleep. I have to be up in the morning. The only thing I absolutely have to do is make sure the girls are up at 7.55 to get to breakfast at 8. So I go back to my cabin, and I spend... um, Looking back, what is conservatively uh, 20 minutes trying to get into my sleeping bag. Um, My sleeping bag had about three zippers, and I couldn't get a single one open. And uh, I should have just, you know, pulled up one of my blankets. But I was like, if I don't get in my sleeping bag, my girls are going to know. But... uh, (laughs) But I was zipping and unzipping so frantically and loudly that one of my girls actually woke up. She had the bunk above mine, and she leaned over. And she was like, Jessica, are you okay? And I was like, Courtney, I'm great. I'm great. And I just laid down in my clothes on top of the entire sleeping bag and immediately fell asleep. Um, And so my alarm goes off at 7.55 the next day. Once again, my only job is to get the girls to breakfast. And I wake up, and I'm still very high. Uh, (laughs) I also had no idea that, unlike smoking pot, when you take an edible, it can last for a very, very long time, especially when you take more doses than you should. And uh, wake up immediately, incredibly paranoid. Once again, all my girls know they're all going to write letters home today saying, like, hey, our counselor Jessica definitely had an edible. Please come pick me up. And so I just tried to move as quickly as possible so they wouldn't notice. And I got them all at the door. I got them all to breakfast. And at breakfast, I remember taking um, 
uh, a plate entirely of scrambled eggs, um, just like one big plate of scrambled eggs and eating all of them in less than 10 minutes. And I kept asking my other counselors, I was like, is it, is it obvious that I'm still not all together? And they're like, no, you're fine. You look fine. Uh, and we had a master class that morning with a television actress. Um, she was from American Horror Story, which most of these children were not allowed to watch. Um, but basically, a master class is when all the kids come together in one room and are taught by like one person who's significant in like, acting, dancing, theater, singing. Um, and I remember I kept passing notes back and forth between myself and one of the older campers. He was like 17. Uh, but... <laughs> I kept telling him, I was like, does everything seem okay to you? <laughs> and he kept writing back, and he was like, yeah, what are you talking about? I was like, nothing. Uh, and at one point, our tech director looked at me, and looking back, he probably knew what I was going through, and he was trying to fuck with me. Um, he was like, oh, we left one of our speakers up at the amphitheater, and this one is dead. Can you go grab it? I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. And so I took one of the bikes that we had outside. We would use bikes to get around camp quickly, and I rode the bike up to the amphitheater, and then I had this giant speaker, and I realized I can't hold this while riding the bike back down. And so I left the bike up there in the dirt, and I like ran back down to our main dining hall carrying the speaker and I was like AJ I'm so sorry I'm so sorry that took so long and he's like you were gone for literally three minutes uh, and I was still so worried but finally after lunch I started to come down a little bit and I was like oh maybe that wasn't so bad I don't think that many people knew I think the people who knew only knew because I kept saying I'm very high can you tell <laughs> um, but uh, now I know when I take an edible keep it in a controlled space and allow a lot of time. But uh, I went back to camp again this summer, this time as a teacher. I only went for about four days, and I made sure I was there on the very last night when all the kids are gone. We have the big party where we don't even have to worry about making noise because we're like, oh, fuck them, they left. Um, and I was talking to <laughs> Logan, who was that 17-year-old camper and who is now a counselor himself, and I was like, God, do you remember that one time we had a master class and... I was really baked, and I kept like talking to you when you were supposed to be paying attention. And he was like, oh, were you high? I, I couldn't tell at all. <laughs> and he very specifically remembered that day, and he was like, I thought you were just messing around. And uh, before I could stop him, he turned to our camp director, um, who hires me. <laughs> and he was like, Sean, do you remember that one master class with that girl from that TV show? Like, Jessica said she was baked the whole time. <laughs> and he looked at me, and he was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. It was super obvious. <laughs> That's it. Thanks. Keep it going for Jessica. Pes Jessica, damn it, I don't know her name. I can't pronounce that name, and I'm friends with her. That's ridiculous coming from somebody with my last name. Um, so I think I was at the point where I was explaining uh, summer camp for adults, but I do have to mention this because of all the times I p could possibly uh, have, have experienced this. On my way to this show, Jessica, I saw our camp director driving right next to me. Sean? Yep, it was Sean. Um, I, that's insane to have lived in a city for that long and never have seen someone until the night you know you're going to talk about them. I'm sure he felt his, his ears burning. Uh, and also, I'd like to just, just have to mention, like, as soon as Jessica was like, so yeah, there was a master class with, you know, an actress from American Horror Story. Like, every actor in this room was like, I'm going to camp. I can go to camp. Camp is for me. I can do it. I'm there. I'll be up at eight. Um, so, I don't know. Uh, I think the point we were at in, in my story, which is really the only one that matters, let's be, let's be honest, um, is... 
For those of you who are at all familiar with my, my, uh, my show, my past stories, a lot of them involve tequila and the fact that I don't learn. Um, <laughs> this, this particular camp is, uh, belong, belongs to a co- one of two co-founders who is obsessed with tequila. Think, he's like the whiskey guy, but with tequila. So... This camp had people just coming around with trays full of tequila at all times, no matter what you were doing, which would be a dream come true if I hadn't started the job three weeks ago. (laughs) Every single person I talked to about this trip, I was like, yeah, it's going to be really fun. Like, they have an open bar. It's kind of crazy. They were like, don't get drunk on the camping trip. I was like, I didn't say I was going to get drunk. I just said it's crazy that there's... Don't get drunk on the camping trip. And I was like, listen, I've had a job before. Cool it. Like, I'm still technically, like, there. I'm not going to drink on the job, per se. And then the thing was, I was told this by, of course, first my parents, then some of my friends. But when my Uber driver said, don't drink on the camping trip, I was like, how do you even know me? Where is this coming from? Where is this hostility? Did you drink on a camping trip for work? I don't think so. I don't know. I feel like, I mean, if he's drinking on the job, I was really in trouble. Um, but yeah, it was, it was kind of insane. They're like passing around trays of tequila. And what I thought about was like, if I do get drunk, I will be remembered by everyone in my region as the girl who got drunk on the camping trip. Camping company retreat. Whatever, it's ridiculous. Whatever we'll call it. So... I was like, okay, be so good. Be so good. Like, resist the temptation. Take one shot every once in a while. Have a beer. Take one shot every once in a while. Have a beer. And then I was like, it's also probably not acceptable to smoke on this trip. The moment we arrive on the beach, because this is New York, somebody is like, oh, yeah. Somebody starts to pull out a pack of cigarettes. Um, One of the camp counselors is like, oh, yeah, you can't smoke here. They're like, oh, I can't. That's funny, because I've got 200 of these in my bag, so I'm going to be smoking. Everybody smoked for the rest of the trip. So I was at that point ready to hang myself, uh, enjoying this uh, all-expenses-paid weekend in in paradise, but they're kind of, like, holding on to the keys. So anyway, um, we're, we're kind of... I'm being very, very good... And then they have these ridiculous surprise musical guests for the weekend. They, like, every expense you could possibly think of. Last year's musical guest was The Weeknd. What? How'd you even know about The Weeknd a year ago? That's some niche R&B taste. I don't know. I love that. I was really impressed. This year? Ice Cube. You expect me not to get drunk off my ass when I'm in New York and you're bringing a West Coast rapper on this stage? I will say one thing. It was a good day. (laughs) I enjoyed myself to the fullest extent to which was elegant. And then something happened that I wasn't expecting, which was that... A direct superior of mine, but not somebody I worked with directly, got trashed. And I was like, oh my God, like, we gotta help her, like, make sure we, she gets back to her room safe. And she's like going on and on and on, talking, talking, talking. We're just like, girl, it's fine. Like, let's get you back to your cot. And (laughs) we recently had a meeting. And the first thing I thought when I saw her come up on the Google Hangout thing was like, 
oh shit, that's the girl who got too drunk at summer camp. <laughs> I was like, woo, crisis averted. And I, I, this is not something I say in judgment at all, but I was just like, oh yeah, that's the girl who got too drunk at summer camp. That's the only thought, no judgment, but the first thought that came to mind. It's just kind of, I'm like, could have been me. It was a good day. I don't know, I, I feel like, I feel like there's no world in which summer camp for adults should exist, but there is this, this new idea that's been, that's been getting all sorts of acclaim lately, which is the idea of a digital detox summer camp, which means you throw your phone in a lake, you like burn your laptop for a weekend, and then you feel better about yourself for the weekend. So I, this was in no way encouraged at this camp, but they're just like, there's not any signal, so you might as well. I am happy to report that in a lot of cases, when people you know, get rid of their phones, their technology, for a couple of days, they have much more like vivid dreams, and they think better, and their art is cooler, or whatever. Happy to report that after 24 hours of a cell phone-free life, I immediately woke up with cum in my lap. Definitely. I was like, the strongest sex dream I've ever had in my life. And, I, and then I woke up, and I was like, whoa. And then I was like, I'm surrounded by people. <laughs> I'm in a bunk bed. <laughs> so that was, um, that was a nice discovery for me. A nice little digital detox. Oh um, <laughs> let's bring up our next girl. <laughs> Guys, uh, this is a Moth Grand Slam winner because this show is elegant, as I mentioned. You can see him at the Pack Theater tomorrow. Put your hands together for Ethan Stanislavski. It's all right. I wore this golf shirt today. Uh, I didn't go to golf camp. Uh, I'm not that waspy at all. Uh, but I'm going to tell a story about... Oh, God, it's right up here. I'm going to tell a story about uh, getting kicked out of camp, because uh, that's appropriate, and running away from camp, because that's they were tied together. One led to the other. And uh, to give a little bit of backstory, uh, I grew up in New York City, in the Upper West Side, uh, where Woody Allen and Seinfeld happened, and uh, basically that region. And if you want to... Everyone asks me what that's like. It's like, you know how there were never any children in Seinfeld? Uh, there's a reason for that. That's not a good scope to put a child's brain in, in that moral space. It's not great. Uh, and I, so apparently in third grade, I kicked my Hebrew teacher in the shins. I don't remember this. <laughs> apparently I did. And my parents, I still don't remember, my parents insisted, no, that you did that, so we sent you to a therapist. And uh, my therapist said, let's put this kid on every antidepressant. I was nine. That's not an age to put a child on antidepressants. And they put me on all of them. Like, uh, within, like, and they put me, like, not all immediately, but like, oh, that didn't work. Let's go three months of that. And then they switched it around, like, a billion times. And I was a goddamn mess. I went from just kicking a Hebrew school teacher to, like, having to change schools a couple times. And, uh, like, that kid, behavioral issues, uh, anger issues, stuff like that. And then one point, uh, uh, therapist said, this kid has bipolar disorder. And, fun fact, I do not have bipolar disorder. <laughs> that was uh, discovered later on that I do not. But I was put on lithium and bipolar medication, which did nothing except make everything worse and also make me pee the bed and be suicidal for two years of my life in middle school. So that was, uh, that was a fun time. And throughout all this, uh, my parents insisted sending me to summer camp uh, and I was having all these issues because let's just put a kid out of, out of his comfort zone and put him in a place where he has to do nature-y shit. I don't do nature-y shit uh, at all. And so I went to one summer camp between fourth and fifth grade. Had a lot of problems there. 
I stayed through it. I want a badge for determination, which presumably meant he didn't get kicked out, even though he's a fucking mess. Give him a badge for determination. Uh, then they're like, but we're not going to send him back there. That was embarrassing. And uh, so we're going to send him somewhere safer next year. So between fifth and sixth grade, I went to a special ed Jew camp, which I didn't know existed. Uh, I'm still uh, surprised to know it exists. Uh, but it was, I don't think it was supposed to be Jewish, but everything was kosher and there was no sugar. So it was a Jewish, it was a Jewish special ed camp, I guess, by default. And... Um, one point we're doing nature camp shit. I don't really remember what it was, but we're doing like, we got to a rowboat, and uh, there's a rowboat on the side of the road, and we started rowing, and I realized, I forgot back, that rowboat isn't locked. Good to know. Noted in my head. And uh, at one point, I had an outburst. I don't remember what led to that outburst. I don't remember what the cause was or what happened. All I know is I started to fucking run. I ran away. And I'm like, I'm going to that rowboat. I'm getting out of there. Somewhere before the rowboat, this is like a weird thing. I was just remembering this. Like, there was like a little campsite, and there was like a hatchet there. And I said, fuck it, I'm going to cut a tree. I don't know. There was no motivation for that. I just said, fuck it, I'm going to cut a tree. And Because I read the Gary Paulson book, Hatchet, and I really liked it. So there's a hatchet. Cool. Let's use that. So I start kind of, it's like a shitty little hatchet. It's probably like the size of my hand. I'm like, this isn't going to work. So I just threw the hatchet away and started running back to the rowboat. And, uh... I don't know. The plan was, I guess, I was going to row across the lake and hitchhike home from Vermont to New York. That's a really thought-out plan for an 11-year-old. And, uh, but if you want to know how my crazy works, I think this is probably the best illustration of how my crazy works is throughout all this, while I was making this decision, I still managed to put on a life jacket. Like, I was doing this crazy impulsive runaway from summer camp go hitchhike at 11 from Vermont back. But I'm being safe. Be responsible when you're going to do that. I, so that, that, that life jacket always fucking kills me every time I think about that. Eventually, like, on the other side of the lake, Kimster's like, is that a fucking kid in that rowboat? Holy shit. That, it, it wasn't Moonrise Kingdom. It was not planned out. There was, no, there was no system in place. It was an impulsive thing. So they just like, we're going to get on a rowboat and fucking tackle this kid. And uh, they did. And they caught me. I didn't get to hitchhike back to New York. But instead, my dad had to drive six hours up that night from New York to Vermont while I just sat in the camp director's office and, like, cried and thought about my, what is my life going to be at 11? And uh, then, uh, yeah, I got kicked out from two more things. Why not? Let's just go into the two other things I got kicked out of. The next was at a theater camp the next year. They're like, keep, let's keep this kid nearby and go to send him to an, another Jewy. Uh, theater camp because everything in my life at that point was had some vague trace of Jew in it uh, <laughs> some weird way uh, so they sent me to Jewish summer camp and it was like a theater camp and we did uh, this musical ad- adaptation of this book like Sunshine in the City of New York I don't know if anyone knows that it's uh, by the guy who wrote Madeline I just looked this up right before that like the Madeline book series basically I I, I was played to play a grumpy landlord uh, who is charmed by kids who sell umbrellas that was the premise of the musical uh, I was cast as the lead. I've never been cast as the lead as anything before then or since. This was my only lead performance to this date. And I fucked up. And again, I ran away. Uh, but the nice thing about my parents sending me this was that it was like 20 blocks from home. So I was like, okay, if he's going to run away, we, we know where to find, find him. So I ended up at a pharmacy where they caught me trying to shoplift cigarettes. I didn't smoke. I just felt like I was, it's, it's the same logic as chopping down a tree. It made literally no sense. I'm going to chop down a tree. I'm going to... They're like, I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And they call my dad and uh, pick me up. And then the next summer, I got kicked out of computer camp. That's really the most embarrassing. If you're kicked out of computer camp, you're not, you got problems. Uh, and uh, 
So I don't know what it was. Was they wouldn't let me take the basic lessons, like the the language, the programming language. The other kids got to take the lessons that taught them how basic. Now I'm like, of all the fucking languages, I'm going to have an outburst over basic. Are you kidding? At least like C plus plus or Python or something that appeals to three people here. That's cool. Uh, <laughs> but I got kicked out of that. And even my dad at that point was like, "Fucking computer camp, Ethan." My dad's like the greatest guy in the world, very supportive. He's like, "Fucking computer camp, really, Ethan." And uh, then I went to another therapist who said, hey, this kid doesn't have bipolar. Let's take him off that shit. And then things got better until college. <laughs> it all came back in college. Uh, but I don't have bipolar, and things are great now. <laughs> but uh, if I, I still, if I was sent to an adult summer camp, I would find a way to run away. That would be <laughs> what would happen. Thank you guys very much. Keep it going for Ethan Stanislavski. I myself do not need antidepressants in order to piss myself and feel suicidal. <laughs> do it all the time. Um, so continuing with the saga of adult summer camp, I just got to mention, I wasn't even going to bring this up, but it made me laugh so hard to think about it. Uh, I met someone at this summer camp. Uh, I met one, one cool person. Everybody else I went with at like, paired off well before that, found people to make out with, were like, I don't know, throwing themselves around log cabins. I don't know, it was great. They were doing great for themselves. And I was just kind of like, cool, I'm uh, not going to drink too much. Not going to indulge. And I was like, this is kind of lame. What a bummer. But eventually I'll find someone. And then I see this guy who looks like he's an arcade fire. And I'm like, ding, ding, ding. There's my type. Uh, And I, I see that he's got a pack of cigarettes. I ask if I can have one. And he and I strike up a conversation. I see that his friend has a Metropolis tattoo. Come on, old-timey movie shit. Yep, all right, all right, keep going. So later, uh, we meet up, and there's, of course, you know, some East Jesus fancy cool DJ playing, and I don't know, and, I, and I'm like, okay, sure, great. We're both the kids who are sitting outside on the lawn that are like, I should have brought earplugs. Did you bring earplugs? And eventually... we're starting to make like a really good connection. Like it feels like there's something really happening. Like we're kind of being losers together. It's great. And we're sitting outside for a while. And then I'm like, maybe you'll invite me back to my tent. We'll get to make out. That'd be really cool. And what he instead says is, all right, I'm going to go watch black and white movies on my iPad. See you later. Hold up. You could just say, I'm going to go to bed. Nice to meet you. Take care. He wanted me to know two important things. One, that he watches black and white movies. A very anachronistic hobby. I love it. That's my jam. Two, though, watching them on an iPad that he brought with them. So we all know, as I mentioned previously, there is no signal at the camp. They had to have been preloaded onto the iPad. If you like black and white movies, go to the Cine family. What are you doing with an iPad in a tent at adult camp? So I was like, oh, well, that's fine. I'm going to go project some vintage porn onto some bark, so I guess we'll see you later. (laughs) 1880s. Uh, (laughs) You know the kind. Uh, So yeah, I don't know. I was just totally gobsmacked. But uh, the next storyteller that we're going to bring up to the stage, you may have seen her on Conan. You may have seen her at UCB. She is wonderful. Give it up for Kim Kalish, friends. Hey, how are we? Doing good. Oh, you're very excited. Great. Um, 
you guys, I'm a, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't be here. Um, I'm really sorry. I lied to all of you. Christina asked me to do the show, and then she's like, the theme is camp. Can you do a story about it? And I said, sure. I am a liar. I have never been to camp. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. I have no idea. I remember my parents asking me, and I'm from Long Island and spoiled, so that was a thing. Um, they said, do you want to go to camp? I said, no thanks. They asked again the next year, do you want to go to camp? I said, no thanks, and somehow this was a thing. And now I feel like I've missed out. I've missed this, like, you're shaking your head because you know I'm right. I've, you've never been to camp? Oh, thank God, friend. Okay. Uh, the thing is, is like, I feel like I missed out on this huge chapter in everyone's lives. Everyone sits there and they're like, my first kiss was under the stars. And I'm like, my first kiss was in a gross hallway in high school because I was a late bloomer. And, like, I don't, I, oh, man, I don't understand it. I don't understand the bunk beds and the running around in the, in the lake, or swimming in the lake, running to the lake. I don't get it. So the only concept of camp that I have is what I've seen in movies. And really, when I say what I see in movies, I mean specifically one movie, the greatest movie of all cinematic history. I'm, of course, talking about the 1995 Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen movie, It Takes Two. Thank you. Sorry, that is the biggest applause that movie's ever gotten. (laughs) It's it's starring Steve Gutenberg and Christy Alley. I am pretty sure the only reason this movie was made is because some exec was sitting in this car and that old song comes on and he starts going, It Takes Two, baby. It takes two, baby, to make $10 million on opening weekend. I'm sure. Like, there's no reason. This movie, this movie is about two identical strangers that meet at a summer camp. One has grown up in a huge uh, house that overlooks the camp. The other grew up in uh, 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 an orphanage. Are they separated identical twins? No, they're identical strangers that meet at a summer camp. It's amazing. And the greatest part about this movie is that it gave me, I swear to you, the definition of love that I most understand to this day. And uh, it comes specifically when uh, Mary-Kate, because I know how to tell the difference, Mary-Kate, Mary-Kate goes up to Christy Alley and she goes, but what kind of love are you looking for? And Christy Alley says... I'm looking for that can't eat, can't eat, can't sleep, bottom of the ninth World Series kind of love. That's brilliant. Okay, and look, I'm looking in your eyes right now. You are thinking, no, Kim, no. The greatest definition of love is Meredith Grey to McDreamy on a couple seasons later when she says it's the kind of I love you in the can't eat, can't sleep, pretend to like your taste in music kind of way. And I'm telling you, no. The greatest definition of love is It Takes Two, 1995's greatest movie. And that is the kind of love that I like look for all the time. And I thought, I absolutely thought I found it in uh, college. I was dating a man named Patrick Michael McMurphy. Which is the most Irish name for a guy that doesn't spontaneously break out into couplets of poetry. Okay, and he was tall, he had floppy hair, he had green eyes that had little golden specks in it, okay? He ran track, 
so he had the thighs of a Greek god. But he did theater, so he was sensitive. It was perfect. I was so loved up, you guys. I was loved way the fuck up on this guy. All right? And my senior year, we decide that because we're in a very adult relationship, we are going to do the most adult thing you can do in a relationship. Go on vacation together. So we decide that spring break is this big moment, and I decide that because it is the most adult relationship, doing the most adult thing, I need to go to the most adult place. Vegas. <laughs> Which is kind of like camp for adults when you think about it. And uh, we're about to buy the tickets. Literally, my hand is about to go to the like, yes, I want to pay for this package that I got that was like everything all inclusive, including like airfare and everything. And Patrick stops me and he goes, we can't go to Vegas. And I said, why not? And he's like, because I'm going to have a couple drinks. You're going to have a couple drinks. I'm going to look at you and say, wouldn't it be so funny if we got married? And you would say yes. And I looked at my boyfriend and said, let's go to Disney World instead. <laughs> because I was not going to end up barefoot and pregnant at 22, okay? <laughs> so we decide to go to uh, Disney World. I'm going to fast forward through a couple parts here, okay? <clears throat> I'm going to fast forward through the part that we decided to drive down from D.C., which is where his parents live, which is like a 22-hour drive, and uh, also the fact that uh, he didn't want to take my car because it was an SUV and it was a gas guzzling. I'm also going to fast forward the part where uh, we then take his car, which is a stick ship, but I don't know how to drive stick. I'm going to also fast forward through the part where my boyfriend tried to teach me how to drive stick the day before we're about to go on a major road trip, and I end up crying in a parking lot. And so he uh, just drives down the entire time, and he's pissed off at me about halfway through the trip the entire time, and he's mad until we hit uh, Florida. I'm going to skip that part. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to get to Disney World. We're at Disney World, all right? <clears throat> and we're going to walk in, and I, it's like fucking magical in there, okay? I am like just riding high on love at this point. And we're walking through Main Street, and we're going past all the shops and all the characters, and past the Barbershop Quartet, which is the most underrated part of Disney World, okay? <laughs> Those guys work hard for their money, okay? Um, and we get to, literally, I leave my boyfriend in the dust. I just start going towards the motherfucking castle, all right? And I, uh, I walk past the, uh, this, this great statue of Walt and uh, Mickey Mouse, and they're holding hands, and they're staring up because they know they're going to be billionaires one day. <laughs> and I get to the castle, and it's, it's magic. And I'm so sorry, Californians, because Sleeping Beauty's castle ain't got nothing on Cinderella's castle in Disney World, okay? It is majestic as fuck. It's beautiful, all right? And, like, if you cock your head to the left... You're almost positive you can see some birds folding laundry for Cinderella. Like, it's, it's wonderful. And I'm so happy, and the endorphins are running, and I start to look for my boyfriend because this is a moment where I shouldn't have left him in the dust. I should have brought him with me. So I turn, and I see my boyfriend down on one knee. And out of nowhere, like Paul Revere, like asking to tell you that the redcoats are coming, I hear from the very far back, Oh, my God! And a crowd forms around us, all right? And I'm looking at my boyfriend, and it's in that moment that I realize that there are some important things that that man knows about me. Like, number one, on the way down, I was telling him that I thought it would be really magical for people to get proposed to in front of Cinderella's castle. Not that I condone it, 
But the idea that like women want to feel like princesses during their proposals. Not the actual like, oh, I'm a princess thing, but the idea that like I am royalty and absolutely no one has had a better engagement than me right now, right? We all kind of want to feel that way. Nowadays, when I think about being uh, proposed to, I actually kind of like the idea of being in sweats and it being the morning and having no makeup on and my hair up and kind of being like, this is what you got for life and you like it? (laughs) Take note. Um, But uh, at the time, I kind of understood why that would be magical, you know? So I had told him that on the way down in like a hypothetical, hey, I get this idea sort of way. He also knew that I am so commitment phobic that when Patrick and I decided to start dating, the conversation was literally, hey, Kim, uh, you like me? And we're going to start dating now. And I said, I don't like you as a human. I definitely don't like you as a boyfriend. We won't be dating. And he literally went, yeah, you, you like me. You have feelings for me, so you're, I'm your boyfriend now. That's how we got together. <laughs> Literally, that is the modern-day equivalent of a caveman smashing a woman over the head and dragging her to the cave, okay? They don't tell you that the real story behind that caveman is that the cave woman just wasn't sure, okay? That's what's happening. <laughs> so, uh, we know it's true. So, uh, uh, that is all going through, and what I realized in that moment, looking at my boyfriend down on one knee, is that it's a fucking joke, and he thinks it's going to be hilarious. So this is the conversation that happened in my crowd. Um, Patrick, get up. Get, get, get up. Uh, Kim, I have something I want to ask you. Yeah, I get it. I get it. It's really funny. It's great. Um, can, you, can you get up now? Can you get up? Does this this make you uncomfortable? (laughs) And that look right there is the most smug way of saying I love you and this is funny. Okay? I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it in slow motion. You're going to understand it. Watch. Does this uh, this make you uncomfortable? You can hear the I love you, but you can also hear I'm going to fuck with you until you're so uncomfortable. Right? So finally I decide to kind of half play into it because I'm not going to win this. And I went, yeah, I love you. I'm very excited for our life together. And he looked up and just the, bl- the air in the balloon was just gone. And he was like, all right, cool. I'm good. He stands up. He goes, false alarm, everybody. False alarm. And then that fucker walks right out of the, the circle. <laughs> and he leaves me with a group of people. <laughs> and the only thing I know to do is go, thank you. (laughs) And then I run out, all right? And the rest of the time I was at Disney World, it was magic and it was wonderful. We danced under street lights and told each other we loved each other on the way down from Splash Mountain. It was great. But really what I think about is I like the idea that they're down in the south somewhere, like in Louisville or Baton Rouge or one of those cities that sounds made up. Somebody invites their friend over one day to like reminisce over like a nice cup of tea. And they see on the on the shelf that there's a, a photo album that says Disney Memories. And they pull it out and a familiar song plays on the radio. It takes two, baby. It takes two, baby. And she stops. And she points at a photo, and she rings out, 
And that's when he started proposing, y'all. <laughs> All right, you guys, thanks. I'm Kim Gatelish. On the theme of Disney World and Disney things, I really like princesses. Um, mostly, I mean, I am one, but uh, I realize it's a little bit biased. But I mean, I, like, I love getting my hair done. I love getting my nails done. My favorite thing in the world is having sparkly pink nails. Um, I notice that it's, it's still kind of a thing for guys to make fun of girls for being upset about breaking a nail. And yet, none of those people have ever had good nails. <laughs> Every man who's ever criticized a woman when she's like, oh shit, I broke a nail. And he's like, what are you going to cry? I'm like, what are you going to get your nails done, you gross piece of shit? <laughs> Jesus, look at those things. They're not even adequate for fingering. <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, this next bit, if you have um, like a mustache tattoo on your finger, probably you wouldn't want to leave. Um, I specifically use the word elegant and not classy a lot to describe this show because I feel like people who use the word classy are not in the same way that anyone who describes their lifestyle or lifestyle blog as sophisticated is not. Um, if If you describe yourself as classy, you're probably saying that while drinking out of a mustache mug. And also having only read The Hunger Games in the last four years as your book of choice. I know, I know. I I definitely come off as as a little bit pretentious to people who are idiotic, but it's fine. I really think eventually, you know, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna have to stop coasting on my good looks, charm, talent, wit, style, unique individuality. Eventually, some of that is gonna go away. In the meantime, however, I would love to bring up our next comic to the stage. Uh, this man is a multiple moth winner and has a show going called Bizarro Moth that is going to be playing tomorrow at 8. Give it up for Oscar Sagastume, everybody! Hey, guys. Thanks for coming out. You sound enthusiastic. It's Friday night. You guys are out of the fucking house. Fuck. I have, I have four kids, so this is a... I didn't, I didn't... I just turned off my phone and didn't tell my wife where I was going. Um, so I just showed up. Um, so I will tell a story about... I will tell a story about uh, how I got a job uh, teaching at a summer camp. Uh, but I think I should uh, preface this story with the fact that I, I don't like children. Um, I never liked children. Uh, and I currently, I have four kids. Uh, and... Exactly, more currently, my sister-in-law and her husband just moved into my house with their four kids, so I'm living with eight children in my house. Uh, So if anybody wants to buy me a drink after the show, um, or heroin, uh, feel free to find me. So um, (laughs) this story starts off like, you know, most camp stories. Uh, My sister uh, got married to her first Vegas husband, and... um, she was getting married, and I was, at the time, I was 21 years old, and like any good 21-year-old Hispanic man, I was still living at home with my parents. Um, and so uh, she had gotten pregnant with this guy. This guy, I'm not going to get into it, because we don't have time, and she might listen to this, but uh, he was a horrible human being. Uh, so my parents were worried, so they're going to pick up, and they're going to move away from L.A. They were moving to Ridgecrest, which is like two and a half hours away. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's just white people and more white people where they moved. And I didn't want to go there, um, I had lined up, like, a place to live, like, in the fall, but I had, like, two or three months where I was basically going to be homeless and I didn't have a job. 
And um, so I was trying to figure out what to do. So um, I walk into a job fair at my school, and there's a huge sign, you know, free room, free board, you know, three months of paid work. And I'm like, it's perfect. And as I go up to it, I see that it's a, it's a summer camp. It's one of those rich kids' summer camps, right? Where everybody has, like, a specialty and everybody's like this. And again, like, I, I, I'm not – I mean, I'm good with kids. Like, I, I mean, I, it's one of those things, like, dogs and kids love me, but I can't stand them, right? So I knew that I'd be okay working at the summer camp because I know, like, I'm not a horrible human being. But uh, So I went up there and I just started chatting up the lady. And this was, uh, this was the, the late 90s. Guys, most of you probably weren't even alive. Fuck you. Um, this was the late 90s. And so we were talking uh, about being a camp counselor, and they were looking for teachers to teach something. And we kind of landed on um, improv comedy, because I told her I was an actor, and she's like, improv, and I had done improv. And as she's talking, this was around the time that Who's Line, the American version anyways, for those of you who are snot, snooty, snooty like me, I watched the British version, um, uh, American, uh, American version of Who's Line was getting really popular, and there was the breakout star was a guy named Wayne Brady. So as we're talking, she tells me, it's like, oh, you've, you've done improv. I'm like, yeah, yeah, have you taught it? Yeah, which was a complete lie, by the way, complete lie. Uh, she's like, oh, have you seen Who's Line and this guy, Wayne Brady? And I said, oh, yeah, Wayne, I know Wayne. I work with him. Now... <laughs> Now, I have to tell you something about me. Uh, for those of you that know me, I am a very honest and blunt person, partially because my, my family is the opposite. You know, they're super passive-aggressive. Um, uh, they like to lie about things. You know, it's really... I'm just not therapy, so I'm not going to get into it. But I, I hate lying. More than anything else, I hate lying and people that lie to me. Um, and the thing was that I did work with Wayne Brady. We did work on a stage together, except he was a singing and dancing wolfman at the Beetlejuice's Rockin' Graveyard Review. Woo! You've seen the show. And uh, I was a pyro loader for the same show. <laughs> right? So my interaction was like we do the test show and sometimes we would play cards together because sometimes the dressing room, I don't have a problem with what I'm about to say, but the dressing room would get too gay and he would have to be with straight people. That's not his words. That was my words. So don't, well, I'm not going to put that. I don't want him to say that. It's not, it, it was weird. Okay. Dracula would take out his dong and hit people with it. It was massive, by the way. It was massive. Uh, okay. So, so when I said this, I'm like, yeah, I work with him. And so she goes, on a stage? And I go, yeah, of course, on a stage. Where else would I work with him? Because in my head, I had talked about being a pyro loader at Universal Studios. And then I realized that she had made that connection that I was improving with Wayne Brady. And I was like, oh, shit. Now, I could either clear this up right now and possibly not get this job or sort of lean into a half-truth and get the job. And so she goes, what's Wayne like? I'm like, well, he's a very generous performer on stage. Uh, which was true. Uh, I know I've never performed with him, but he was a very generous performer. So I kept trying to change the subject, but she kept coming back to it. And finally, like, finally, she's like, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna interview you. I think you're great, especially with your pedigree with Wayne Brady, you know, being his you know his partner." And I'm like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, just uh, give me a call." Uh, so the next day, my pager goes off. <laughs> Late nineties, guys, and it's the owner of the summer camp, and he is. Super excited to speak with me and Wayne, uh, you know, basically Wayne Brady's like second in command, 
right, about improv. And so the whole, the whole interview process is basically him trying to talk about Wayne Brady and what I work with him at, you know, at different clubs in L.A. And he kept, like, saying things, and I'm like, you generous performer. And I kept trying to change the subject about whatever else I could talk about, like the weather, you know. And uh, I don't know what's popular. Counting Crows. I don't know. It was the 90s. I don't remember, guys. And, uh, you know, I, he gives me the job. I get the job, right? And I think, okay, this is probably the last I'm ever going to hear about it, right? No one's going to talk about it, and it's just, you know, it's just going to pass. And so I, I drive up there, um, you know, and training. And the thing is, like, I, for those of you, I mean, no one's talked about it, but at the summer camp, everyone gets a nickname. They're not, you're not supposed to use your real name. And so when I got there, they already picked my nickname. They usually pick it, like, during the training. They called me Hollywood. That was my nickname. <laughs> and I still, like, I just saw someone a couple weeks ago, uh, and he came up and called me Hollywood. That's because they don't even know what my real name is Oscar. Um, and everyone kept talking about it, and I kept trying to change the subject. And I'm thinking, okay, all right, well, you know, the kids get here. You know, obviously it's not going to be a problem. And the kids show up, and for and I had to go up to the main office um, for like some random reason. I never, and you never, I never walked in. Like we just did this training, and blah blah. I walked in the main office, and there is my picture on a flyer, and there's Wayne's picture on a flyer. And it says, learn improv comedy from Wayne Brady's protege, the hottest thing to come off the Sunset Strip. Um, and then as I, uh, as I taught, everyone kept talking about how they couldn't wait to meet me and Wayne and come to LA. Um, I did have to, I did actually just end up quitting the job because it's too awkward. Um, but uh, yeah, that was, that was my time teaching at a summer camp. Uh, that was my time. Thank you. So I, I just want to just briefly point out that I also am convinced of my pretentiousness because I watched the British version of things and the American versions of things, <laughs> uh, mainly Downton Abbey and then the American version, The Bachelorette. <laughs> Our... Uh, our next uh, comedian, storyteller, writer coming to this stage. We've got two left for you. One is a reductress writer. Reductress writer, excuse me. I am reductive. We've got uh, finally. We'll also have one more coming up next to the stage. Put your hands together for lifestyle blogger at My Adequate Life, Julie Pearson. So, my dad. Uh, in the 70s, bicycled uh, all the way across the country from east to west. Um, and about a month ago, he found out that he raised two adult children who can't read a compass, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which was a wonderful moment to witness. Uh, <laughs> um, I always refused to go on any kind of camping trip of any sort when I was a kid. Um, I like had no desire to go. Uh, the outdoors seemed scary. Uh, it seemed like a lot of running. Uh, it seemed kind of too close to sports for me. Uh, but a couple of years ago, when I moved out to LA, uh, my dad really, really wanted to drive with me from Chicago. Um, and he kept offering to be my backup travel buddy so many times that I thought, okay, fine, I should just let him go with me. Uh, so I did, and I was really nervous about driving all the way across America with him, uh, but I said, okay, I'm going to be a trooper, and I'm going to go see America with my dad. Um, 
so he flew from Minnesota to Chicago to meet me, and we uh, we started driving. Um, and we, I didn't have anywhere to be. I didn't have anything going on in LA yet. So, uh, <laughs> so we took like a week for the trip because this was my dad's vacation. <laughs> so no pressure for me. <laughs> um, and it was kind of off to a bad start uh, in Nebraska when <laughs> we went to the only restaurant in a small town um, and our child waitress. <laughs> Uh, kept asking us if we wanted salad bar with our meal and I, I was like yeah of course except it was weird because I kept looking around and like thinking there's not a salad bar um, a, because it was set up in a utility sink uh, just next to the kitchen <laughs> and they had uh, potato salad and macaroni salad and coleslaw like all the salads were, man- were mayonnaise uh, <laughs> um, so my dad loved it he was like this is America and he was so excited um, and I was horrified and it was all I talked about for three days um, but I was overall I was a trooper we saw Ronald Reagan's boyhood home we saw an original Pony Express station which is something only a dad would want to see um, we saw uh, the desert you know and it was really it was really kind of cool except on about day four I just like crashed um, and I was so tired of all my stuff being in this car with me and of not living anywhere and I just wanted to like move my things into a place and be done with the whole thing and so I started feeling this way just as we arrived at the Grand Canyon to go camping uh, <laughs> and my, I'd agreed to, I had agreed to camp for one night at the top of the Grand Canyon with my dad Uh, and I don't really camp, but I said, okay. And for weeks leading up to this trip, he kept saying, like, do you want me to bring you any camping gear? Um, It's going to be about 40 degrees at night. And he said it probably 15 times. Uh, And I kept being like, no, (laughs) no, I need all the space in the car. You can bring, like, one change of clothes, and that's it. Like, (laughs) all my stuff has to fit in this car. Uh, And so I finally agreed that he could bring me a one-person tent uh, (laughs) because he wanted to sleep under the stars. Like a person who camps. Um, so, like, I didn't even let him bring me a sleeping bag. I mean, I was like, I got blankets, I got socks, we're good. Uh, I like, I just kept thinking, it's one night, it's one night. I'm moving my entire life across the country. This is one night. I'm gonna pack all this stuff. No. Um, so we get to this campsite, and we are. I just, I'm so unprepared. Uh, and I, I was sleeping in this one-person tent, and I was just, like, so tired and sad, and I felt so alone, and I didn't know what I was doing with my life. And my dad's very hard to talk to sometimes. And I was just like, I've been on the road for days. I have no idea what's going on. And so I slept for about 25 minutes. <laughs> and then I lay awake for another hour, and I was freezing because it was 40 degrees. <laughs> and then also it was May. Why was it 40 degrees? <laughs> And um, finally, I just bailed, and I went and slept in the car. Uh, and I didn't sleep. I just, I just sat there, and I looked at all my stuff, and it had all jostled around, and everything was falling out of my bags, and everything just seemed so surreal and weird. And the next morning, uh, we woke up at about 5.30, because then we were supposed to hike into the canyon. And also, did I mention I love hiking? This <laughs> is my favorite thing uh, and I was like, oh, I don't want to. And my dad was like, do you want to, do you want to, you know, just go? We, we can just keep going if you want. But 
But this was the one part of the trip he really wanted to do. Like, the one thing he really wanted to do was see the Grand Canyon. So I said, okay. Okay, we'll go hiking. Um, so we started, we started hiking just, we were gonna go like a little ways into just to one of the lookout points. And as soon as we started hiking, I remembered I'm afraid of heights. And I'm not sure if you guys know what the Grand Canyon is, but like <laughs> you're walking along a huge basin. It's just like a, there's a drop off and you just look down and it's like there's no rail, there's no guard, there's nothing. There is nothing. Uh, and it didn't really occur to me that that's what the Grand Canyon was until we started walking and instantly it was like, I am terrified. <laughs> Um, and the first thing that happened as soon as I realized this is that we had to stand out of the way for a whole pack of mules <laughs> that they send down into the canyon with people riding on them. So like you look at them and all you can think is like if one of those mules just jumped off the side and why wouldn't they? It's terrifying. <laughs> like there's a person riding on it who would have to go with them. <laughs> so I just uh, immediately was like, I can't do this. I can't. I can't, I, I can't hike into the Grand Canyon. Like, I, we, gotta, we gotta stop. And my dad said, do you wanna stop? And I thought, yes, but I said no. <laughs> because we were there, <laughs> you know? And it's not like I, I didn't wanna keep going. I didn't, I had no desire, like it's beautiful. I had no desire to keep going to, or to see this thing at all. Uh, but like, I was already there and you know, when it came down to it, like, I didn't really want to move to L.A. at that point either, but I was already there, and it was kind of like, this is happening, and I have to do it. Um, so I said, okay, we'll keep going, and I took a lot of selfies of myself crying as I walked in the Grand Canyon. <laughs> and, uh, and we got to the first lookout point, uh, about three, well, hiked about three-quarters of a mile in, um, and by that point, I wasn't that scared anymore. And I even like sat on some rocks and I took pictures out from this beautiful overlook point and it was so exciting because I felt like I'd really conquered something. Um, and I just found out that someone died uh, doing that exact thing like two months ago in that exact spot at Ua Point in the Grand Canyon. So I think all my fears are justified. <laughs> Thanks guys. And just want to perch. Uh, I've got my phone in my pocket though, so I suppose I'll rid myself of that. Um, one last camp story, if I can make it, if I can. Can I? She can. Of course she can. She's a protagonist. Um, I. Reminds me, uh, last camp story. I went to a camp, a day camp, obsessed with camp as a child, needed to go to camp every single year, called Phoenix Ranch. It was really just more of like a playground that they would cart us away from for activities and there was like a dirt patch that we threw dodgeballs at each other's at each other during and it was fine um but the coolest thing they had by far on site was janky ass go-karts like clearly made out of like lawnmowers and school chairs duct taped together but it was incredible and so i uh i distinctly remember this one summer where I was so excited. Finally, I was like, I was going to do it. I was going to, A, get on the go-kart, B, beat everybody, which I did. But, of course, I eventually lost, which is that uh, as I was getting out of these go-karts, which strangely were not very well made or prepared, uh, as I exited the vehicle, 
I leaned back and the exposed engine was exposed to my arm. And uh, I, I was like, it was like boiling hot metal that hit me right there and left, most importantly, a perfect hexagon scar. I finally had a cool scar. I did it. I did it. I recently, at that point, had gotten more and more into sci-fi and fantasy novels. And I don't know if you guys know anything beyond like Harry Potter, but like protagonists have cool scars. That is a thing. That's a cool identifier. It's suggestive. It's interesting, symbolic. And so I was like, I don't want to like, I don't want to go to the nurse's office. Can I just deal with this? I mean, just put a little petroleum on it. It'll be fine. And, uh, and I called my mom because I was so excited. <laughs> I was just so ready. And yet, every day since then, the scars started to fade. And I started freaking out. I was like, what? This is not supposed to happen. No, what am I going to do? No, no, no. There's not my problem. And so I would keep going on the go-karts trying to like kind of replicate it in a way that would be normal. And I could never do it. And that's why I go to summer camp every single year, guys. We're going to bring up our last performer. She is an absolute delight. She runs a show at Flappers called Friend Zone. It's about unicorns and bringing your friends on stage. So obviously we have some things in common. Put your hands together for Rob and Ryan closing out the show, folks. I love camp. Like, I worked at a summer camp for six summers as, like, I was too old to live with the campers when I started working at summer camp. Uh, I was 25. I'm older than that now. Uh, so I worked at the summer camp, and um, there's different, like, types of summer camp, as we've learned. Mine was just an elite summer camp. Uh, it was in Maine, and, uh, like, it's, it's consistently ranked the most expensive summer camp in the world at $15,000 for seven weeks. Um, <laughs> And I love it there. <laughs> like, it's basically like Club Med for kids, but, like, your laundry magically appears folded on your bed. <laughs> that's, that's my favorite thing about camp. <laughs> that, and then you just, like, everything's ready. Like, what do you need? Oh, you need, you need lunch? Well, just go right here. There's lunch. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, everything's there, right? Part of the reason everything's there is because I, as a camp driver, would bring it in. Uh, I spent six years as a camp driver. I drove all over the state of Maine. Uh, my mom has a house in Maine. She calls me now. She's there now. She will call me and she'll be like, um, hey, Rob, okay, we're at Target in Freeport and we need to get to the airport. What do we do? And I'll be like, you could GPS it. And she's like, no. And I'll be like, okay, well, so you're going to get like on, like you're going to go east and then you're going to like, and I will give her directions. I know the, I know the roads in Maine, right? <laughs> um, part of what my part, a lot, a big part of what I would do was go shopping uh, everything that wasn't brought in like by the food truck people, I brought into camp. 900 people in camp. Uh, they knew my name everywhere I went. Uh, do you know that if you go to Home Depot with a list, you can just hand it to a guy and be like, I'm just going to go on your Wi-Fi over here, and they will bring it back to you um, if you spend enough money. <laughs> that's, that's the... That's, okay, so... <laughs> a lot of money. Uh, I had a gold Amex. I don't know the limit. I was never denied. Uh, I had a visa, and I always had cash on me, provided by the camp. Um, and, and I would get, like, calls to come to the office that would be like, 
oh, hey, Robin, we need you to go to Bank of America and pick up $30,000 in cash and then go to Walmart and then there. And so I had like an unlimited American Express, a visa, $30,000 in cash and a rental car. (laughs) And they were like, just come back when you're done. And I'm like, yeah, okay. (laughs) Of course I'm gonna come back. The airlines don't take $30,000 in $5 bills. Uh, so my, my favorite part of the job, though, was I got to go to the airport a lot. I would pick up kids and pick up campers and staff and whatever when they flew into the airport. Most of them flew into Portland. Occasionally, we'd get a kid from the Europe or Asia or South America uh, or the West Coast that would fly into Boston, and I would have to go pick them up. Um, there was one day that uh, I'd already been to Portland and back, and that's usually the end of my day. I don't like to work hard. Uh, (laughs) And they called me, and they were like, hey, our bad, you have to go to Boston, which was three hours there, a three-hour wait in Boston, and then a three-hour drive back. It's a very long day, and it was already like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So I go to the office, and I'm like all ready to go, and they're like, oh, security guard, the three security guards want to go with you. I was like, I don't want to go with them. (laughs) This is my, my time, right? Because uh, I lived in a cabin with 11 other people. Like, this, is, this is Robin time. She needs it. Um, and they were like, no, 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 it's fine. They worked all night last night. By the way, there is Israeli special forces that we would ship over to be at camp. And then they went back to Israel to be back in special forces. Right? Uh, that's what our security was. So they get in the car, and I'm told, they worked all night. They're going to sleep the whole way. I'm like, they better. <laughs> I'm like, I'm listening to my book on tape. It's Augustine Burroughs. They're not going to like it. Um, They were awake the whole time. Uh, They didn't like it. (laughs) There was a scene, there was a a description in the book where a woman flings a tampon at a man, and I laughed hysterically, and they were horrified. Uh, That's what you get for being awake in my car. Uh, It is. Don't don't be awake in my car. (laughs) Um, So about, about, about two hours into the trip... The guy that was sitting in the front seat with me goes, um, who is this kid that we're picking up? And I was like, I don't know. Just like, I have his name. He's from France. I don't, that's all I know about him. And he goes, is he rich? And I'm like, well, he spent, he spent like 15 grand plus airfare to come to camp. Yeah, he's fucking rich, right? <laughs> I mean, his parents obviously hate him anyway. And, um, and he goes, uh, we should kidnap him and hold him ransom. <laughs> that doesn't seem like a good idea. <laughs> and he goes, I think that is what we will do. And I was like, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, so we get to the airport, I park, and I call camp. And I'm like, I'm like they're like, oh, we're going to go eat. And I'm like, I'm not going to go eat. I'm going to go hide, basically. I call camp, and I'm like, uh, Sally, <laughs> what am I going to do? And she was like, just don't drive them back. I was like, okay, that's my plan. Just don't <laughs> drive them back. So... I go eat, he's there, apparently he'd followed me, like he'd stood there and then he followed me and he ate lunch with me and I'm too nice to be like, you're creeping me out, go away. Um, So he ate lunch with me and then I was like, I have to go through security to get the kid, you can't go. You guys, total lie. You can't go through security in international arrivals. Uh, They don't allow it. They bring the child to you, you sign for the child and then you take the child. The child didn't know me. I'm just going to sign for this stranger and I'm like, we're going to go. Uh, he was a very trusting child. I wore the shirt. That's, that's really what it came down to. My shirt said the camp name that I'm not going to say. Uh, my shirt said the camp name. Uh, and so he was like, yeah, you work there. And I was like, sure, it says staff. Like, I'm good. Uh, so the plan that I... So I get in the car 
And as I'm walking to the car, the three security guards are standing at the car. Like they have remembered where it was and have just been waiting there. They told me they'd been waiting there for 45 minutes waiting for me because they didn't want to miss their ride back to camp. I was like, I really wanted you to miss that ride back to camp. Um, So I call Sally again and I'm like, Sally, what am I going to do? She's like, stop every half hour on the way home and tell me where you are. I was like, that's going to work. Okay, so the kid's flight didn't get in until 11.30 at night. So now it's a three-hour drive back to camp that I have to stop every 30 minutes and tell her what mile marker I'm at. But camp rule says that I'm not allowed to talk on the phone and drive at the same time, and I follow rules. Uh, so every 30... So I, Okay, first of all, I made the, kid, the camper sit in the front seat with me, which was like a big no-no. Like, he was like nine. Like, nine-year-olds aren't allowed in the front seat. And I was like, you need to sit in the front seat with me. And he was like, I am not old enough. And I was like, I don't care. Like, you're with me. Uh, I got to keep you safe. And apparently, when you're next to me, like, if I stop really hard, I can throw out my arm. Uh, <laughs> that's as safe as I can keep him, right? So... I tell him, oh, we have to stop and get something to eat. That's our first stop. I call camp, and I'm like, everything seems okay. Um, we're, we're, like, just outside of Boston. I'll call you back in 30 minutes. Now, she's been at work since 5.30 that morning, and at this point, it's midnight. And she's like, okay, call me back in half an hour. I'm like, will do. So we drive again, 30 minutes. I call her back. But, this t- but so every 30 minutes, I'm telling the camper that he has to get out of the car and use the restroom because I also have to get out of the car because they're terrifying me. So he's like, I don't have to pee. And I'm like, I don't care. We Camp policy is that we stop every 30 minutes for you to use the bathroom. I'm just making shit up, you guys. <laughs> like, just making it up, right? And he's like, my dad paid a lot of money. I was like, shh, don't talk about your dad. Like, terrified. Um, so I just, I keep, I drive to camp, right? 30 minutes, you have to pee again. I don't have to pee, I'm tired, I'm asleep. I'm like, I don't care, camp policy, peeing every 30 minutes. And he's like, I think you're making it up. And I said, I think you don't know what you're talking about. And he was like, somebody else picked me up last year. How come they couldn't do it this year? And I was like, ah, they died. I don't know. Like, Shh, quit asking questions. Because you don't want to tell the camper, like, hey, they want to kidnap you. <laughs> um, so we drive. Every 30 minutes, I'm stopping, getting out of the car, calling camp. Every 30 minutes, right? And, like, I thought they would sleep the whole way back. No. No, they were just awake the entire time. Like, I don't know what kind of drugs they did before, like, they got on my van that day, but it was strong. Like, they were just awake the entire time, um, and they were speaking in a language I didn't understand that I don't remember the name of right now. I'm sure everybody else knows, and you're like, you're a dumbass, Robin. I know. Uh... (laughs) And, and so I just keep calling camp, keep calling camp. Uh, we, we arrive at camp, okay? And it's now like almost four in the morning because I had to stop every 30 fucking minutes to like call camp and tell them we were all alive. And it's almost four in the morning. And there are um, the three camp, the owner of the camp, the two camp directors, and then this woman, Sally, that I've been calling the entire time, waiting in front of the camp office for me. And, and like the boys, the boys, whatever, like the kid, some, like one person was there for the kid, the rest were there for me. They're like, um, we, I got out of the car and uh, the owner of the camp was like, you three, I wanna see you in my office. And Sally was like, Robin, are you safe? And I was like, I think so. She's like, are you safe? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. Like, I'm fine, I'm fine, right? I'm good. Um, and I was like, what's gonna happen to them? And she was just like, I don't know, the owner's pissed. Like, you don't joke about kidnapping a kid. And I was like, you don't kidnap a kid. Like, 
joke about it or not, you don't, you don't do it, right? Um, and I was like, what's going to happen to them? She's like, I don't know. Uh, my friend told me the next day, she was like, I had to take the three Israelis to the airport, but like, I was only allowed to take them to Augusta, which is only like 20, like, like a flight from like Augusta to Portland is like $1,000, right? She was like, I don't know what happened. You know what happened? And I was like, I was told not to talk about it. Uh, so that's why I didn't say the camp name. Uh, I don't know where they ended up. Uh, maybe they got to New York. I don't know. I never saw those three again. We got three new security guards the next day. Um, but they never, I, I no, no idea what happened to them. Uh, I hope they're alive. I don't know. They're in Israel or New York. I don't know where they are. Um, but guys, that's my time. Thanks. I'm Robin Ryan. Every one of you beautiful people has just made six new friends, guys. Thank you so much. That's our show, Personally Speaking. We are back October 14th. And last but not least, you don't have to stay here, but you can never go home. Get out! Thank you. Well, folks, that's our show. I guess we'll see you again next month. October 14th, 8 p.m., open space. Stay safe out there.